You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 483, the little things we judge on TV, deputising for rock stars and a new law. Musicians can only release three albums. That's all coming up after Black Grape and Kelly's Heroes.
this track so illustrates my memories of the mid-1990s and this album constitutes one of the greatest musical comebacks. Sean Ryder had contributed heavily uh, to the destruction of the Happy Mondays and had returned to claiming welfare benefits and then kind of boom, um, back with this glorious celebration from the album It's Great When You're Straight, yeah? Uh, As a single, it reached number 17 in the UK in 1995, Black Grape and Kelly's Heroes. That's great. I really love that. Like like you, you know, I think I felt at the time that Sean Ryder's best days were behind him. But uh, that is great. I've also very much enjoyed his recent appearances on Celebrity Gogglebox with Bez, who just appeared to be two middle aged men that are slightly confused by the world watching TV together and trying to describe uh, trying to decide which posh crisps to have each week. It's, it's, it's a rather touching sort of portrait of ageing male friendship. I, I didn't I did. It's almost a bit like. Like the the fishing thing with uh with what's it with a white Four house white and houses. yeah and yeah. Mortimer yeah it's a little bit like a lower key version of that really I would recommend it if anyone wants to watch it they're very sweet. Well, hello and thank you for joining us here at the Parish Council. It's episode four hundred and eighty three. I'm Terence Stackham, and well, let's just check: is she eating a substantial meal with her glass of wine? It's Juliet Harris. <laughs> I don't have a glass of wine this week. I am if there are people that are interested in so these little little v- vignettes from my uh, from my my home life. I am drinking Coca Cola from a Wonder Woman mug. The glamour never starts. I mean, stops around these places. <laughs> Hello. Well, there was an interesting column in the Daily Telegraph last week with the heading, the little things you can't help but judge on TV once you're middle-aged. And I should point out now that neither of us qualify for being middle-aged. Juliet is too young and I'm too (laughs) mature. Yeah, you're you're Uh, too experienced for that. I'm too experienced to be classified as middle-aged. But that's not going to stop us looking at and judging annoying things on TV. Absolutely, yeah. This is a joy to me to get these things off my chest. (laughs) Uh, at the moment in the UK, we're going through an absolute nadir in the quality of television commercials. And I'm going to tell you about the worst of the worst. The latest advertisement for a particular mobile or cell phone provider uses mm. the Beach Boys Wouldn't It Be Nice as a music bed um, and underneath the commercial. And nothing wrong with that, except they butchered it. So it skips and hops across the song. You're just rendering it a great lolloping mess it's like yeah it's like going to the Sistine Chapel and using a pickaxe to break off a piece with the nativity in it because that's the bit you like but the absolute worst at the moment is a commercial for a chicken provider's Christmas menu where someone pours the most appalling dismal looking liquid apparently they refer to it as gravy Mm. and it's poured and it gloops and it drips all over this sort of grotesque so-called burger box meal and they say and i quote the extra special hash brown has been specifically created to act as a gravy boat and soaks up all of the delicious signature sauce (laughs) <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. That does everybody. not sound very nice. I, no. I, I won't be partaking. And finally, just the moronic Tesco uh, Christmas advertisement, which is all based on have you been naughty or nice oh, during the pandemic. I quite like that. I think oh, that's quite no. sweet. I, li- I like the se- well, I like the sentiment. Patronising. Well, I I like the sentiment, the idea that, you know, no one's been bad this year because it's been rubbish. Let's all have a nice time. I know it's vlogging stuff, but I quite like it. I I, I used to, but then we're very different people, Terence. I, I, you know, I can see the warmth in things. (laughs) (laughs) I fail to. Um, Jules, what little things are you judging on TV right now? 
Well, I mean, I'm just trying not to judge very much, really, because it's been a complete big Well, I know you can judge me if you want for doing that, but uh, maybe I'm judging you for being so judgy. I don't know. But anyway, it's been such a bim fire of a year that I'm just at the point where I think, oh, you know what? People can do what they want. Put your put your Christmas tree out three weeks ago. I really don't mind if it makes you happy, whatever. But it is a bit strange. I'm always very irked by continuity errors in things. So when someone is wearing a certain kind of top in one ski scene and then they're wearing something different in the next scene, things like that. I mean, you know if you pick at soaps the whole thing will fall apart but i've 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 always wondered why everybody has very most people have very snazzy houses in eastenders yet nobody owns a washing machine and i've never really understood why you know people are successful businessmen aren't they that but you know that bloke, what's his name max that wears suits all the time why is he using a laundrette why does he need to use a laundrette this feels very unwise in terms of investing in domestic appliances what else annoys me oh I, um music documentaries which have talking heads in them that literally are people reading out wikipedia i watched one the other oh. day and followed the wikipedia entry along with it this was on sky arts and and it wasn't good it was the wikipedia it was literally the wikipedia entry being read out if you're going to pretend that something is a documentary oh, at least have at least have people that you know uh, at least have people that know what they're talking about without resorting to wikipedia that annoys me i'm just trying to think there's this excellent article in the telegraph that's talking about different things that are annoying um they they've gone for nigella but i could go for for chefs generally um it's not their house and it's not their friends that's that's what i find quite annoying <laughs> so so they used to famously do this with jamie oliver which i used to quite quite cruelly found funny they literally had to pay people to be his friends so uh, so when he would cook a meal and then everyone comes around on their scooters at the end and they will have a nice time together except they are actors and that is a set that is not his house so that is a little bit um that is a little bit annoying um <laughs> it's it's i find that irritating um also um they, they, this telegraph is other things that drive us mad no one ever draws the curtains no one ever eats other than the sopranos where they're eating or fridge grazing or barbecuing in every scene i really like the sopranos it feels like it's my life uh this says they're either drinking red wine held aloft like a prize cup or they're in a restaurant ordering and allowing wine to be poured and they said that no one ever seems to wear um real real clothes they said very occasionally real clothes but most of the time character driver clothes no human ever wears uh, like sleeveless coats uh, pvc max high heels and pencil leather skirts and we've all i think again been enjoying gillian anderson in the fall i mean she looks magnificent in that I find it difficult to believe that she's a police detective and she'd wear leather pencil skirts. I'm not really sure. I mean, of course, now it all looks out of date because after this year of our hell held Lord 2020, I'm doing this in leggings and a jumper. I wouldn't have dreamt of wearing that all the time at the start of the year. Yet, you know, we're all considerably more casual than we once were. I very much enjoy my regular meetings with surveyors via video wearing T-shirts. Unfortunately, video meetings mean that we still can't avoid Christmas jumper day next week unfortunately but i guess these things are well sent to try us aren't they this year i think i think the thing that just uh, that also i think annoys me when it comes to documentaries and experts is using the same people all the time and and using people yeah. that are yeah. oh i tell you what was my big bugbear at the moment 
why is James May doing a cooking series? What does he know about cooking? Why do I care what James May thinks about cooking? At least the advantage of using someone like Nadia Hussain is that, you know, she won a baking programme, you know? (laughs) She she does have expertise on these things. And as annoying as Nigella's fake house is, she can cook. Her books are really good. It's not like, you know, she's just some random. It's like me going, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll present a programme about cars. I know all about them. (laughs) And James May, you can't be booked to do this programme about cars because we've already got... Someone else to do it that knows nothing about cars. So that is my big bugbear at the moment. It's actually you mentioning talking heads there. It just made me uh, think that one thing I'm finding mighty tedious is people appearing on news or any TV show really via a terrible phone connection in their spare room. Oh yes, where grainy, indistinct pictures mean we can't quite identify the strategically based books with which they're hoping (laughs) to impress us um that that's really annoying it was amusing at first but that's beginning to become tedious but no that my my um my final one is quite a niche thing so i will make it brief um but it really does annoy me so much the return of professional football or soccer to our listeners in Mm. the states the televising post lockdown continues to be marred by the ongoing inexplicable decision to employ former footballers as co-commentators. Mm. With, in my view, I mean, the only honourable exception, exceptions being Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. Apart from yeah, that. Yeah, so excellent, yeah. Exactly. It's, it's the, there's just a world apart. The rest should be let go immediately. Um, apart from several, several of them being so inarticulate, they can barely shovel one word after another. Uh, hello, Robbie. Um, they don't <laughs> even know the laws of the game, which is just right. beyond um, yeah, understanding exactly. when they've got that role. And they still pull out these old footballs. Oh, that was just a tap on his shin. It, you know, it's a man's game. Uh, in mm. my day, we'd have just stood up and shaken hands. <clears throat> and so on. they actually ruin the experience of watching the match sack them all jules well yes i agree though having said that uh, my only slight caveat to that unusually for me i was up late on sunday and i watched match of the day too which is not something i do very often from start to finish and all of a sudden where's alan where has alan shearer's personality come from where has it been hiding how has he suddenly got one when he never really had one there it was with the they were talking about the unfortunate clash of heads in the was it the Arsenal Wolverhampton game it was yes, David it, Lewis it and, was, and, some, yeah, and somebody Raul, else Raul Jimenez, that's David. right and it was obviously delayed for a very long time and David Lewis and I no one could really understand how this happened was readmitted to the field of play with a bleeding head wound that was bleeding through it was visibly bleeding through a bandage and Alan Shearer went on the most magnificent rant and he was there what he said was absolutely fair enough basically saying how he couldn't understand why the FA has and FIFA have dragged their heels on you know concussion protocols and rules when every other sport seems to have sorted itself out on this and football is saying oh we're reviewing what is there to review just bring it in and actually for a brief moment and this doesn't happen very often I found myself aligned with Alan Shearer so so not all football commentators are bad but I think I agree that the match commentators that's who I'm referring to I was just going to clarify yeah, that yeah. not that not the Alan Shearers who have become no big personalities and yes. i agree also with what you said i'm talking about the people who sit next to yes. live commentary during Absolutely. the other commentators and live commentate during the game yes i agree and they, you know that that is us yeah i agree with you entirely coming right up deputizing for rock stars 
it rarely ends well. <laughs> That's right after the lovely eggs. I collect watches and I collect shoes. I collect microscopes and I collect gliders. I collect sequins and I collect windows. I collect matches and I collect wheels. I collect snails and I collect horses. I collect snails and I collect horses. I collect cider and I collect goblins. I collect coins and I collect bags. I collect kites and I collect trinkets. I collect fish and I collect knives. I collect snails and I collect horses. I collect snails and I collect horses. I needed to have that spread and I wanted to take it right there and then. I believe that was used on some kind of iTunes or Apple Music advert um, some time ago. But Lovely Eggs are a, are a, a genuinely alternative band, a, a married couple, David and Holly, who just do it themselves. They, they draw their own sleeve. They, they frequently um, release records which they've made the sleeves themselves. They made a thousand mirrored sleeves during lockdown to uh, celebrate their album I Am Moral. And the idea was is that when you got the record and looked at it, it was you because it was a mirrored sleeve. They do all kinds of interesting things like that. And they write, they've got a very, they handwrite all their fonts. One of my proudest possessions is the set list that I asked the man running the sound desk if I could have when I was DJ for them once they're an excellent live band i would recommend them very much and that is just i think a really fun song it does sound like the naughtiest kids in school with the uh, with the recorders and the uh, and the glockenspiel and all that kind of stuff but i think it sounds lovely and uh, they're they're a great band and i i think they're really underrated they're they're very much on the alternative margins but i think if people they're one of those bands are real cult band not many people know about them but people that do know about them enjoy them very much i think so that was uh, the lovely eggs and uh I think is it is it called I Collect Snails? I think it, it is, is called isn't I it? Collect yeah. Snails. Yes, it's another band you've uh, introduced me to that I want to hear more from, and I, I like the look at some uh, of some of their titles of their singles. I was looking up today is I like birds, but I like other animals too. That's excellent. Um, <laughs> don't look at me, I don't like it. <laughs> I can uh, recommend their Christmas song Tyrannosaurus Rex for Christmas. That yeah. is my personal favourite. They also she there's also a song of theirs that's about forty seconds song that's called i'm a journalist and uh, they there's a seven i think it's seven or eight seconds long it is the perfect musical joke i'd recommend called um muhammad ali and all his friends i think it's called and it is just a silly joke that is really funny I also like the look of goofing around in lancashire so i'm going to explore <laughs> more for, more from them for certain i would recommend it 
Every couple of years, there seems to be in the news a story about a major opera house staging some grand work Mm -hmm. like the Magic Flute or Aida, and the leading man or woman falls ill halfway through the show and some amateur steps up from the audience and gives a performance of their lives. But it seems such events are rarer in rock music. The name of Scott Halpin was it was not widely known before 20th of November 1973. And to be honest, once the fuss had died down, his name wasn't much known afterwards, really. But I remembered this story this week and sort of re-researched it, if you like, to remind myself. It was coming up towards Thanksgiving in 1973. Scott Halpin and his friend Mike went to see The Who in San Francisco. And as soon as the gig got underway, it was obvious that there was something wrong with Keith Moon. Um, it turned out that accompanied by a young female fan, Moon had he'd steadied his nerves by taking a handful of tranquilizers washed down with brandy. And the major problem with that was he'd been given animal tranquilizers normally used to subdue elephants and hippos. Um, so not hippies, hippos. <laughs> um, so. After collapsing on stage a couple of times, and despite being injected with cortisone, um, Keith Moon couldn't continue. So backstage, mm. the, the drummer with the opening act, which was Leonard Skinner, was asked to step in. But he said um, he didn't feel confident enough. He didn't know the songs. So Pete Townsend jokingly asked the crowd if there was a decent drummer in the house who knew their songs, knew what they were doing. And up jumps this Scott Halpin, who was near the front mm. Up the stage, and this is the stuff that dreams are made it of. It really Terrence. is, isn't it? He was given a glass of brandy and a pair of Keith Moon's <laughs> drumsticks. And the amazing thing about this is, despite it being 1973, there is video of it, and it's up oh, on YouTube. Wow! I must look at that. That sounds amazing. Absolutely, and uh, you, you see Keith Moon being helped off the stage by uh, Townsend and Daughtry. Keith Moon kicking out and trying to get back to his mm. drum kit. Anyway, Scott helping. He does a decent decent job for a few songs the set ends and scott and his mate went home and the remarkable thing is again today a whole career would be made of this but in 1973 he hardly ever played the drums again lived Mm. a quiet life got married and sadly died at a very young age of 54 uh pete townsend wrote a message for his memorial service so jules sitting in for rock stars doesn't often end well well, no, indeed. Drummers particularly seem to have a bit of an unfair whack, if you pardon the pun. Uh, the, the the book that actually you, you fun enough, bought me for my birthday, which I enjoyed very much, Craig Brown's kind of dip into the Beatles called One, Two, Three, Four, which I would thoroughly recommend, by the way. So it doesn't pretend to be a, a you know, a sort of a, a comprehensive work about the Beatles, but it's some very interesting glances and not dissimilar to his Mom Darling book, which I think you might have made your book of the year i think when we did yes. a, a review but while and again you bought that for me and i enjoyed it very much thank you um but um jimmy nickel um oh, stood yes, in for uh for ringo star um during their 64 tour the beatles tour of europe hong kong and australia um ringo missed part of the tour because he was in hospital with tonsillitis uh jimmy nickel was a session drummer from london he played well not the same as ringo but he covered in um he 
was only 24. Um, he he was sort of drafted in. He'd recorded a session for Tommy Quickly um, fairly fairly recently. He'd uh, played in, in the. He'd also helpfully played the drums on an album of Beatles covers called uh, Beatlemania. Well, so he knew exactly what to do. Um, well, the curious thing about it was. Um, that he rehearsed with them, you know, they did several songs together. He wasn't in them for very long. He was in them for, I think, he played 10 concerts with them in a TV appearance. He wore Ringo Starr's suit on stage with strategically (laughs) placed clothes pegs, which they used to make it fit. I mean, this was a different time, wasn't it? It was, it was, I love the fact that they were the biggest band in the world at that point. And this is all done on a shoestring. This is pretty much, you know, they were, they were moving quick, weren't they, in those days? and um and he um he it was very strange in that he um he never seemed to recover from it strangely he yeah. he he left it um and they uh, the, the whole thing ended rather the whole thing must have felt like a strange dream the other beatles were asleep when he left because um so he couldn't say goodbye he got a uh, check and a wristwatch from brian epstein which rather sweetly was inscribed from the beatles and brian epstein to jimmy with appreciation and at, at, you know and uh, gratitude and um weirdly he thought i think he thought he'd go on to be a big star he met the beatles again in july of that year when his band the shub dubs were on the same bill as the group at the hippodrome in brighton the shub dubs released two singles after jimmy nichols times the beatle neither succeeded he was made bankrupt in 65 um he ended up um he continued to do music but he ended up uh, running a button factory in mexico he was a carpenter he renovated houses and one of his girlfriends whom she might even have gone on to be his wife i think basically said that she felt he had never recovered from it he had completely fallen in love with the whole lifestyle Mm. and it's and he was in he was in the biggest band in the world for about 12 days and then he wasn't anymore and it's it's really strange and and it's interesting that it's amazing who they find to stand in in bands if you know someone that knows someone else there was a curious incident um with oasis of whom i was a big fan at the time noel gallagher quit oasis in the middle of a tour in may 2000 so they ended up with this guitarist called matt datum this is like a very pleasant is spelt in the same way as len dayton the oh, author. right yes he seems a, a seems a very pleasant bloke he was playing in a band called Mother Earth, who could best be described as acid jazz. Their music <laughs> didn't bear any resemblance to Oasis at all. But um, he was playing in a band with um, with Steve White, who was the um, he was play he was recommended by Steve White, who was Paul Weller's drummer, drummer and yeah. the brother of Alan White, who was the Oasis drummer. So ah. so it was a kind of a someone knows somebody knows someone else. He met them at a hotel and they asked him if he what stuff he was into and they all bonded over Fleetwood Mac. He had two or three days of rehearsals. He was playing Noel Gallagher's guitars. So he was again <laughs> it was like Jimmy Nichols' suit. Yeah. It was it was stuff that was made to fit someone else and um he said um he said um it was exciting i'd had long hair in the acid jazz group mother earth you don't say and a mustache before <laughs> my mate said you've got to get your hair cut to be an oasis but i'd had a skinhead two days before the call <laughs> and the funny thing was is that um 
basically what happened was that um, Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher made up, so he rejoined the tour. And actually, unusually, this seems to be the opposite to uh, to, to Jimmy Nickel, and maybe the fact that Matt Dayton had had a little amount of sex, uh, some success beforehand made him less bitter, yeah. I don't know. But he said the last show was in Madrid, a really good gig, a blazing old gig, but there wasn't really a bad one. He says... Um, it was a lovely experience playing those songs, uh, hearing them up close in stadiums. It wasn't really marked. I think we had a few drinks after, but there was no damage to any rooms. There were hugs when we parted at Victoria Station. And a week or two later, everyone, Noel included, went to see Peter Green play at the borderline. Oh. It was very tidily left, very gentlemanly. It is it is possible for that to happen. The other, of course, person that, that stood in, um, when Led Zeppelin reformed. Hmm. a few years ago of course they they could not have their original john uh, john bonham drummer because he died they had another bonham they had his son jason bonham sit in instead and uh that that again had a rather sort of unfortunate side effect in that it looked like they might do some more things afterwards and he'd essentially left foreigner when which whom who he was drumming to to play with them and then of course nothing materialized oh lord so I yeah. think that was all rather unfortunate. But anyway, mm. in an ideal world, we've learned that you pick someone from another band that knows what to do, that doesn't have ideas above their station, yes. and perhaps someone who ideally, in the case of Zach Starkey as well, who drums at the Who, yeah. I think, is the son of one of the biggest ever drummers. <laughs> if you can pick a Bonham or a Starkey or someone like that, you'll probably be all right. Do you know, just going back to Jimmy Nickel for a moment, who mm. I, I think is still with us, I um, think he is. Yes, it's it's all very it, it's a very curious tale, isn't it? But you know that watch that Brian Epstein yes. presented to him at the airport. Um, it, lovely to have that watch with the inscription mm. on it, but they spelled Jimmy wrong on it because he oh, spelled his name J I M M I E. And on oh. the watch, it's spelt with a Y. So it's like the final indignity, oh, really. Yeah, I am sorry. That's not a <laughs> no, no, poor old Jimmy. Um, although this isn't quite a standing in for an ailing band member mm. story, it is very much linked. And it's a strange tale. Well, whilst, whilst we're here, we might as well have a chat about it. Go on. <laughs> well, it wouldn't happen today, I think. Um, back in mm. the early 70s, I went with some schoolmates to see Mott the Hoople. And mm. after the support band, this was just before they broke big with all the young dudes. So, they were oh, still right, okay, sure. so after the support band, but before Mott the Hooper went on stage, my school friend, uh, JC, who was and still is the guitarist in the members. Oh, OK. Yeah. He went up to Ian Hunter uh, backstage and asked if we could get up on stage, borrow <laughs> their equipment and play a few songs. And astonishingly... <laughs> Ian Hunter agreed, and suddenly, wow. um, in the soil of Scott Halpin or uh, mm. Jimmy Nickel, our early version of the members are playing to the crowd in Bracknell Sports Centre, played a few songs, wow. cover versions I seem to remember, and mm. then off, if, if not to booze, at least some enthusiastic applause. Mm, that's and, nice. I just, you know, as I said, I don't think that could happen. I wouldn't recommend trying this in 2021. <laughs> I'm not sure either Elton John on his farewell tour or perhaps Duran Duran in Hyde Park next summer. They would be quite so accommodating. No, although having Ian said Hunter. that, I think I think the key to this story, partly a different age, but perhaps yeah. the key to this story is the fact that they weren't playing a big venue. So yeah. maybe they would, they maybe they were considerably more cash about it because uh, because yeah, they um they they weren't uh, they they weren't there. I I don't have a story 
story that's quite as good as that, but I do have a story where I used to go to a quiz um, that was run at Lewis Football Club by some friends of mine, and there's uh, one week they said, oh, Juliet, you've got to come this week. The music round is a Britpop round, and unfortunately I couldn't make it, so my friend, one of my friends that was on the team I was usually on said, oh, I'll get my best friend to come instead. He might, I think he'll be quite good at Britpop, and was laughing. His friend turned out to be Martin Rossiter, the singer from Gene. Ah, so okay. I was replaced <laughs> in a quiz on my specialism by uh, by one of a member of an actual Britpop band. So as I said to them, I think you probably did better than the ringer than you did with me, I should think. And they said, no, we didn't. He couldn't remember anything. So, uh, so maybe if you if you remember it, then you weren't actually there. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Coming right up, uh, a new law. Musicians can only release three albums and then they retire. <laughs> can I just point out to everyone, when I suggested this topic, I didn't say it was a law. This is Terence's interpretation of it, which will surprise no one, I suspect. <laughs> All will be clear right after this new track from Credit to the Nation. Mm. I've got a Protected, so the wrong leaders can get elected. Left lash right and the right lash back, shutting down one another. And we can't have that. Still in every way system, ignorance and medicating. Minifex, we are talking true, cause it's love and overstanding. Respect your one another, all woman, all man, all your sister and your brother. Swings and roundabouts, sixes and nines. Invisible prison giving us fear in our minds. Hand to mouth, fight a flight, day and night. Then we turn on one another, blame the hijab of the Polish brother. I see a man.
away for a number of years, but I think this is a very powerful return with a strong set of lyrics related to life mm. in this rather peculiar age. Released a few weeks ago in 2020, credit to the nation and what's going on? I had no idea they still were even a thing. I thought they were forever preserved on my NME Singles of the Week 92 and 93 tape albums. But no, apparently they are. And I've always been rather a fan of them. So it's nice to hear. At first, it's nice to hear anybody trying to interpret this time musically that isn't the Rolling Stones playing on a packing case. And uh, and secondly, (laughs) I'm glad to hear from them. I'm always glad to hear from Credit to the Nation. I think they're good. Well, you see... (sighs) I decided that we were going to call this Juliet's Law, and now you're saying it's not a law. So <laughs> I'm, 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 in I'm, I'm distancing myself. Oh, okay. uh, as, as the prodigy once memorably put it, something them and their law. So, so people might feel the same way about me. Let's 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 say that it it's a suggestion. A, we could call it Harris's theorem. I quite like that. It Harris's makes me feel theorem. it makes me feel and sound more intelligent than I am. So let's try Harris's theorem. Well, this theorem is that in the future and retrospectively, all musicians are only allowed to make three albums and then <laughs> they must stop. As we know, you know, some bands know when to call it a day. Others mm. seem to need cease and desist orders to stop them. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they need to. They need the intervention of um of a uh, old, old father time. I think in some cases. Well, now we're also looking back and allowing all artists, musicians, bands to keep three albums. All the others have to be recycled, melted down to make gravy for fried chicken outlets um so we're looking back and choosing three artists or bands who can only retain three albums from their career what's Mm. your first candidate jules well, so I was I was thinking about this when I was sort of pottering along at home and I, I, I started thinking, I don't know why, but I just thought, oh, if I could only keep five albums by any band, which five would I keep? And I then realised when thinking about it that, that when I tried to pick five, I was kind of prevaricating. But when I was narrowed down to three, I could rattle them off really easily because as far as I was concerned that's what I had to do you know that was the plan so uh, so of course when road testing everything I always think of the band that I can't even say are my favorite band anymore because they've gone beyond the place of being my favorite band they're kind of just above everything else really so uh, so the Beatles I thought I'd start with them and when I I was trying to pick five albums and I struggled and when I thought what three albums can I pick I just went oh Revolver I'll have that because that's the best album ever Please yeah. Please Me, because that's the best pop album ever made, on Abbey Road. And that was it. Those are the three Beatles records that I need. I love all their albums, but those are the three that I can't live without, I don't think. I didn't know what you were going to pick, but I thought, I'm going to have a go. I knew you were going to choose the Beatles. Mm, so I what thought, did you well, pick? Abbey Road. <laughs> yep. Revolver. Yep. Hard Day's Night. Ah, I wondered. You see, now that is, I mean, you know, any of the Beatles albums are good, aren't they? You can't, yeah. uh, you know, you can't argue that they're not. But no, I, I thought I'd go with that. And those are the three that I need. Well, my first choice is Steely Dan. And I'm going to cheat a little, as mm. I'll explain. Uh, right away, I have to choose Steely Dan's first album, Can't Buy a Thrill, which I bought as an import. Danny Baker sold it to me when he was working at One Stop ah. Records in South Bolton Street in, uh, I think, 72. Mm. Um 
it's it's a wonderful record. No filler. Gives it is. quite a few hints to the jazzy crossover sound to come, despite mm. having the worst cover ever printed. Um, oh, you see, I, I, I don't think it's awful, but it's not <laughs> ideal. <laughs> not, not, not good. It went platinum, reached number 17 on Billboard, 33 in the UK. Now, there are, like Jules was saying, like you were saying, there are nine Steely Dan studio albums, but it's hard to pick. Um, it had been hard to pick five, but I found it easy to pick three. Mm. Um, and they're from the first six, which are, they're all masterful. But we're going to skip to their third album from 74, Pretzel Logic. Mm. It's the last one to feature all of the original band. Another terrible cover, but a great, great album. Short songs, mm. uh, 11 tracks. The album's a total of 34 minutes. So you can see they're all short, short all tracks. All killer, no filler. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Ricky, Don't Lose That Number, Any mm. Major Dude, Uncelli, Barrytown, songwriting and musicianship at their peak. Mm. And then finally, I'm cheating by choosing Donald Fagan's solo album from 1982, The Night. Uh, I wondered if you might that's wander onto cheat. old Don. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a development of the Steely Dan sound. Uh, it's autobiographical, eight tracks, and as a whole, it deserves to be right up there. I'm going to really uh, splash out here. I'm Ooh, say, go on. Right up there with Sergeant Pepper and Pet Sounds. Wow, Night I mean, it Fly. is a superb record. I do agree. One of my favourite albums of all time, Jules. Absolutely. It's a, it's a smashing album. I mean, if I was picking three Stanley Dan, uh, Stanley Dan or even Steely Dan, that's the tribute band I'm going to form. Stanley Dan. Uh, <laughs> only a fool would say that. There is one they, called Dan Steele. Oh, bet is there? there? Is. Oh, that's no, I'm guessing, that's, but I bet there is. That's right up there with the brand from Brighton that called themselves Weeby Stunder. I think they had to stop because they got uh. sued. But anyway, uh, it's not bad, is it? And of course, the Oasis tribute band. No, there were two. There was one called No Way Sis. And uh, there was who had actually had a hit with them doing I'd like to teach the world to sing in the style of Oasis because of course that was lifted for supersonic and there's another one called Oasis isn't instead of Oasis which I thought was quite good <laughs> I, I could we, I could sit here all day and tell you about great great tribute act names uh T-Rex to see they were quite good if I remember correctly and also we saw a, a woman playing on the guitar once years ago in Hastings to a a, a, a largely indifferent crowd at a small wine bar. And I remember her asking what was on at the White Rock, which is Hastings' main venue that evening, and someone said a meatloaf tribute act, to which she shot back, is he called Maltloaf, which yeah. is still the best improv joke I've heard on the stage. But anyway, my, uh, my, my third Steely Dan pick... I do love the Nightfly, but I don't think I could pick it as a Steely Dan record. So I think I would pick Aja, which I think is oh, a wonderful, yes. wonderful record. So, but I, I do, I do take your point, on old Don. And, and speaking of album covers, that's one of the best. I'm a, a sucker for people in black and white on their album covers. So I would, I would pick him. I'd pick uh, Bjork's debut, Patti Smith's Horses. If you're a Diana, Diana by Diana Ross. If you're a person and you're on a, on you're on a front cover in black and white, I will probably like your album as a result. I think so. So, uh, so agree. I thought I'd go for PJ Harvey next. I thought I'd really put this theory to the test and it was a difficult choice. But ironically, my first pick was the first album of hers that I got into and really loved, which is, I think, her least favourite record of the records that she's made because it was her most, her big sort of commercially, it was designed to be commercially successful. She set herself a task. Could she make a pop album? 
Oh. And uh, it, and she did. It was called Stories from the City, Stories yes, from the Sea. That's my not, not exactly pop, but it, I think it's just a, I I don't like the term adult oriented rock. But actually, I would probably put this in that bracket. I think. And it's always the rock when people say, "Oh, I'd like to get into PJ Harvey. Where do I start?" It's always the one that I give yeah. to people because I think it's the most accessible. And if you like it, then you'll want to dig into more. And that is, I think, on my you know my top. Probably in the top three favourite albums ever, I think. It was an album... It's always a good sign if you have to make yourself stop listening to an album because you listen to it too much. I, I, I love that. So I don't think I can live without that. I've picked Dry, her debut record, because I think it's such a strong set of, of songs. It was lovely to have it reissued earlier this year. And I just love how young she sounds on it now. She was 20 when they recorded that. And and yeah, she just sounds so so wee on it. It's quite sweet, really. My friend always calls it Muppet Babies, PJ Harvey. I quite like it. It really is. I love I love how how young it sounds and how great the songs are. And then my third pick, and it's a, it's an interesting one. This I I found it really difficult to pick between all the different albums, but I felt really that I managed to pick something from each of her different sort of eras. And I've picked Let England Shake as my third that I have to keep by her because I really do think that is. It's weird. She never said it was a concept album, but it is a concept album about war, really. And it's it was very different to everything she'd done previously. And I, I just really love it. I think it's incredible. But I have cheated slightly by picking something from an album I didn't pick at the end of the episode. So uh, so maybe I've cheated in the same way that you have, I think. She's quite the chameleon, PJ mm, Harvey, I think. Both musically, and I know this is rather trivial, but I just noticed this so much. Mm. She looks so different through yes. the years. She could be different people. You could you yes. could look at a PJ Harvey photo from one year, see one the next year, and she looks like two different people. I find yeah, that absolutely. Quite, it's quite it's remarkable. very interesting, isn't it? And of course, the, the other thing that's interesting about her physically is she's got a, a phenomenal voice, obviously, and an incredible range, I think, as well. I think her singing's really underrated sometimes. It's almost a pratic in places. Um and you know she's she's very the whole sound is very big it's a big rock sound sometimes or you know sometimes there's a lot of emotion in it she's about five foot one and when she when you see her live and she comes on stage she's genuinely tiny i mean she's a very slight softly spoken quite posh sometimes when you hear or certainly middle class in the way that she speaks woman that is uh, that is, is quite i think she's quite shy i remember we saw her play once and the only thing she did apart from performing on stage singing the songs was to say thank you rather demurely between each song and to wipe her underarms with a towel and that was the only thing she did throughout the gig she's a she's like you say an interesting character and also i think very clever and uh, you know i i think that quite a lot of it is just her expressing herself but when you say that something is calculating it sounds negative and i don't mean it to be but i think she's very clever and very thoughtful in the way that 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 she puts her image out um and i remember someone saying once that the moment i think that really launched her from being a successful alternative artist with a couple of well thought of albums behind her to a, an actual star in the alternative world that's now made her a very critically respected artist that sells as well crucially which she she didn't always at the beginning was what we now all refer to as pink cat suit at glastonbury in 1995 and someone said what was so clever i saw a stylist was interviewed about it and they said what was so clever about it was 
everyone that knew her at that festival would have expected her to come out wearing a black t-shirt and jeans and dms because that's largely what her and the original band wore you know that's who they were they were just kind of indie people to come out in a pink zip-up capsuit and a wonder bra and cindy sherman style operatic makeup on you know that that was the next point for her that was the point which really really launched her as a star and she was then appearing on the front of id magazine in a stars and stripe bikini and she was again she was sort of playing a part and exploring artistically Cindy Sherman was a huge influence but yeah like you say people that think of her as an artist she is not only i think a musical artist but she's a visual artist as well and i think that's often overlooked ironically Mm. Mm. Yeah, very true. Now, my second artist to be reduced to three albums is Joni Mitchell. <laughs> this, this sounds awful. It sounds like, you know, <laughs> we're sort of tearing their life work away. But I do think even if an out of someone is different as PJ Harvey and Joni Mitchell are, I still think you there's only, I think the, the big bands only have three albums in them. So agree. I so agree. You, you don't realise this until you, you do something like this task and then you realise that, so so many artists have th- three absolute tip-top albums and they never really ever reach that peak again it's a sobering thought it, it was actually a relatively easy decision with Jonas. Mm. there's three albums again do stand out above all others mm. first blue of course a revelation in a couple of senses her life and her mm-hmm. loves recorded in 10 superb songs including her Laurel Canyon, what should we call it? Heady Summer with Graham Nash. Um, Then from 1974, the wonderful album Court and Spark uh, is a first sign of a more sophisticated, Mm. confident sound. Nominated for a Grammy, Crosby and Nash are on backing vocals. A lot about life in L.A. and a lot of guest musicians um, produced and led, really, artfully by Joni herself. And finally with Joni, The Hissing of Summer Lawns. It's a a further and extraordinary development. Hissing of Summer Lawns, it works on so many levels. It's jazzy, it's got pop melodies, it's um, an early use of sampling on it. Um, Although she was 32, Mm. I think this is a sort of of coming-of-age album for Joni Mitchell. It received really poor reviews at the time, but it was way ahead of its time. And it's Mm. it's one of the greatest albums you could ever hear. Yes, I I agree. That's my favourite Joni album, I think. And like you say, the fact that it was so ahead of its time means that it now sounds very much on time, I think. If something is timeless... Well, hang on. If something is out of time, then I think it eventually becomes timeless because it doesn't age with that particular time. I think if you make something that doesn't fit in with what's going on around it, then it will always stand out. It will always yeah. it will always stand out regardless of, of of where it is in time. If you see what I mean, I always they always they say in the history boys, and I've, I've always kept this with me. Nothing ages as badly as the recent past yeah. because you've got nothing to kind of contextualise it with, and it's why. Old episodes of Inspector Morse that are made in like 93, 94, they haven't quite become vintage yet. They just look a bit naff sometimes and a bit dated. The characters are in wine bars wearing kind of grey suits and it never quite fits. And the advantage is is that if you're making something in that time that didn't look like that, then... 
people don't look at it and instantly think, oh, that's very much of its time. If you're if you're not of your time, then then you yeah. know then I think that that means that you can stand the test of time. Well, that's very that's very good, isn't it? I, I had to write that down. Um, I remember reading a uh, a front of a review of PJ Harvey once. Um, she played the Eden Project, I think, in the mid noughties and there was a, at that time, rather uncharacteristically good review in the NME. It had really fallen by that point, but there was a good review. I can't remember who wrote it now, but they said, um, the the reviewer said, if you don't follow fashion, then fashion will eventually follow you. <laughs> and I think that's a good phrase, and I think that can apply to Joni Mitchell's court and uh, hissing of summer lawns. To some extent, to Court and Spark as well, I think, but particularly the hissing of summer lawns. I might have swapped blue for Hegira, but mm. it feels academic, really. Now we've had PJ and we've had the Beatles. What are you going to finish with? I well, I thought I'd finish with my other peak Juliet band. I nearly went for Blur, but I decided I'd, I'd stick with Radiohead. And oh. again, when I when I fired the three albums that that I wanted I wanted to keep with me Radiohead wise, they were the hardest. I think of all of, of all of them, they were the ones that I had the most difficulty pulling out the three. But I was I could easily pull out OK Computer and I could easily pull out the Bends, and they are seen as the kind of the two albums that. even people that went off Radiohead still seem to love and I think I decided for my third pick again I could I could have picked any of their recordry they were the the most consistent I think for me but I think I I just decided to go with Hail to the Thief Thief even if I could say it uh, simply because it's really underrated and actually I realized as well that that for me certainly there are certain albums that will always remind me of a time in my life. And I think of all of the radio albums that I bought, I must have played Hail to the Thief absolutely constantly. I I feel that that record, a bit like Stories from the City, has just become... It is one of my favourite records because it's just a part of my DNA, I think, really. I just, I, I know all of those songs just inside out. And I, I, I think it's it's never held up as a kind of a one of their classics. And in a way, that makes me love it more, really, because I just think, oh, I don't know, they didn't make that album for me individually. I know that. And yeah, it does feel a little bit like it is kind of mine, really. So, so. It, 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 there may, you know, the song. There may be other albums that, you know, I may think, oh, well, you know, In Rainbows might be an objectively better album than that. But I just love it, and that is, you know, if there's an album that just means something to you, that is the one, the the third one that I don't think I could really live without. Well, finally, for me, it's mm. Paul McCartney who. Ah, so hooray. the church, Church of Macca is in session. Do hooray please join Paul. us, yeah, and do for our weekly worship. <laughs> Not always considered, funnily enough, an album artist due to a history of um, top-ranking hit singles. Mm, indeed. But in the early years of his solo career, a sparkling run of albums, Ram was his second solo album, recorded mm. with much underrated input from Linda, I think. Recorded yes, in very much so, yes. It's unusually outspoken, and it, it contains wonderful songs like Too Many People, Dear Boy, Uncle Albert, Backseat mm. of My Car. It was a liberated Paul McCartney. Yes, I agree. Now, if we jump forward to 1975 and Venus and Mars, this was uh, like the reverse, really. It was recorded in a tense atmosphere. Um, the band wings were sort of breaking up or the mm. personnel were changing. And 
But uh, Paul was still on a run of top ro- top songwriting, really. Letting go, treat it, treat her gently, and the absolutely majestic. Listen to what the man said. Mm, that is brilliant. Yeah. And then top of the tree between those two, mm. and one of the greatest albums of all time, 1973, of course. Band on the run. I was going to say, I'm, I would have resigned from this podcast on the spot if you hadn't picked that in your top three, I don't I think. Absolute zinger. McCartney, Linda, Denny Lane at their creative peak. Ten superb tracks. I would say don't bother with extended editions of Band on the Run with an you know, additional track of this yeah. and a demo of that. Just bathe yourself in the glory of Jet, Bluebird, oh, it's, it's Mrs. Vanderbilt. 1985 absolutely yeah and And band on the run the title track itself exactly genuinely one of the best albums ever recorded band on the run i completely agree with you the only thing i might be minded to to, of those three as i you know as i'm playing you 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 gave me played along with mine so i'll play along with yours i might i might be inclined to swap out venus and mars for mccartney too because i find it very difficult to re- to resist the uh the the one two salvo of coming up and temporary secretary that is uh that, that those are magnificent monolithic songs so i'm uh i'm possibly leaning towards that but yeah no, I, I can I, see i can see your point i wouldn't uh you know sort of uh argue too forcefully on that i no, I absolutely but but there are even if there aren't three well may, maybe we've stumbled upon something there maybe the key to this is is that most bands most big but even the biggest best bands of all only make three albums that stick with us but the really great bands that's a different three albums for different people maybe we've hit upon something there maybe maybe as people we can only deal with three great albums from one band but maybe the sign of true greatness in, in a band is when they release enough good albums that you and i could pick to- three totally different albums from the beatles and it would See- still count I sort of put McCartney, McCartney 2 and the coming up, McCartney mm. 3. See what I did there? I um, do. It's almost like we're presenters, isn't it, Ricky? <laughs> Sometimes we do hit on something occasionally. I, um, I kind of put them in a sub um, genre on their own because they're mm. McCartney solo, they're kind of demo-y, they're, they're sort of ad hoc. And I don't think... I don't include them in the sort of mainstream um, McCartney wings uh, fit. They seem Mm. to me to be sort of outliers, superb as they are. And I think uh, McCartney 3, which we'll probably uh, talk about because it's it's coming out in a week or two. Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's hotly anticipated in this household. Recorded on his own in... um, in Rye uh, during the pandemic. So the, the third one. So um, I, as I say, that's why I probably pushed McCartney two aside in favour of Venus and Mars. Anyway, we've got to say thanks very much for listening this week. I hope everyone will burn all their albums except three <laughs> by each artist in their collection. And 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 in in true as the true yin to Terence's yang or whatever way that is round. I hope that everybody enjoys picking their own three and possibly even sending them to us on the Twitter. Oh, absolutely. Yes, please. Please do that. Now, do that rather than burning your record. Don't listen to him, honestly, <laughs> for goodness sake. When you're not rewriting <laughs> theorems of this country, where Indeed, may yes. we find you? Well, when I'm not, you know, 
living it up in academia you can find me on mixler again this week mixlr.com search for me juliet harris you find my channel and you listen on a sunday evening from seven till nine in which i have been known to play some of the paul mccartney in the wings and some other people in my smooth sailing show which is all things kind of relaxing and blissful and uplifting um you can if you don't get a chance to listen live you can always catch on them people do apparently someone said this week funnily enough her favorite Joni mitchell album terence is for the roses so controversial in neither of our picks again shows how many great albums that Joni has produced because it is a great album and again in 72 in very much her kind of purple patch of whacking out great albums but anyway you can hear Joni and stuff like that on the show from seven till nine catch up on on the show reel which is the little bit that you click underneath the image on my page and back to Polly Jean Harvey uh, to finish Jules Indeed, I nearly picked is this desire, but it hit the cutting room floor. And uh, I'm aware that there are terrible things going on all around the world this week, but I'm just going to share my tale of woe around this album with regular listeners and with you, Terence, because you're silly enough to give me this platform. So so what happened was uh, they've been re-releasing all of PJ Harvey's albums this year, most of them with an accompanying demo disc. Uh, PJ Harvey signed merchandise is highly sought after because there isn't very much of it. Um, the first album they released was dry and they released the demos um disc and that's always rather sort of uh, well sort of, always rather sought after because the original version of dry released on vinyl came with um demonstration which was a, a disc of all the demos there were only 2000 of those in lp form and i can't remember how many cds they did but again they're very rare possibly even rarer than records and they now go for silly money online put it this way i regret not buying one for 50 quid in 2003 because they're now about 200 but wow. um but wow. they so they re-released demonstration in a more you know accessible format but they only released they released 300 signed versions on her website um i just jumped in and I got one very excited um they did sign postcards because unfortunately most of them then appeared on eBay for about yeah. 300 quid which oh, is very Lord. frustrating yeah. I know there was a lot of anger about that in the PJ Harvey group so they then did sign postcards that they only produced with the album to the next two and I missed those but I wasn't so bothered I've had a Google alert on Is This Desire by PJ Harvey that emails me anytime it's mentioned in place for the last two and a half months whilst I've awaited the release of Is This Desire so that I could get a signed one. My lovely parents, of whom I'm inordinately fond, came round for tea last night um, and I thought, you know, I must spend time with my parents. And so I put my phone on to charge for 20 minutes in my bedroom um, when I went to check, you know, to get it and and to check it had charged. They'd gone online and they'd sold out in 20 minutes. <laughs> so just goes to show how sought after they are needless to say i will be strapping my phone to my wrist um, <laughs> with an intravenous j- injection for when they re-release stories from the city because i really want that one signed in a month's time if any of pj harvey's people are listening and you can pull a string i'd really you know i, I no one knows who i am because i'm not actually famous but i might pretend to be famous and ask you if you know who i am so that you can yeah. that for me. i don't know but anyway it made you feel better about your week i can't believe that I've waited oh, for no. two and a half months and I put my phone on to charge 20 minutes anyway oh. I can live without a signed version I'm very excited this is being re-released on vinyl because again it's quite sought after it was an album that didn't make much sense to me when I first came across it but actually 
I, I certainly regret not picking it in my three now because it's really burrowed its way under my skin um, for the last sort of 10 years or so. It's got some very interesting electronic stuff on it that you wouldn't necessarily associate with PJ Harvey. And, and actually, it it, seem, it does, hasn't dated really. I was worried that the trip hop stuff would have dated, but it hasn't. But uh, I thought I'd pick this to kind of, you know, mark its re-release. And it is a wonderful record. And I've decided to pick the title track. This is PJ Harvey and this is Is This Desire. Joseph. Walked on and on the sunset Went down and down coldness Cooled their desire and dawn said Let's build a fire Listening to a parish council production. That's all coming up after Black Grape and Kelly's Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> 